All right, chapter 5 is where we're heading. But before we get there, let's look at the big question on page 28 leading in to tonight's lesson. Before the next session, consider the following question. Paul teaches that if believers live by the Spirit, they will not carry out the desires of the flesh. How do believers live by the Spirit? One choice at a time. You know, and just by living the way he calls us to live, like a life of love, a life of obedience. Anyone else? I put that you have to, first you have to deny your flesh, that you have to take every thought captive, that you have to constantly remember the cost, that you have to follow the example of Christ, that you have to respond to conviction, and you have to respond with humbleness and grace. As we've started this, lesson or the study you know we started with the good news salvation being born again and we've all hopefully have an understanding of that of the new nature now that we're no longer the product of the fall but we're the product of the resurrection and we go right into the new identity in Christ from there We recognized and we talked about in session three about living by faith. And then by living by faith in lesson four last week, we talked about how that begins to transform us by changing the way we think because our worldview begins to change. We're no longer looking at the world and we're no longer impacted by what impacted us before Christ. No, we're now filled as believers with the Holy Spirit who is given to us to be our counselor, our comforter, our teacher. And the Word of God says that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we're going to pick up here on page 29, living by the Spirit. And Ariana, read that scripture there, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sits its desi- sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. For if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And Yvette, would you read that first paragraph there <laughs> under Word? When we become Christians, we are made new creations in Christ. However, we will still continue to struggle with our old sin nature. As Christians, we are no longer under the law because the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. Christians can live a righteous life by believing what God says is true and by living in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so any thought from that scripture or just that first paragraph there? I highlighted the, I guess, the little paragraph called the word, um, the one line where it says, the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ, because that sort of stuck out to me, and I was like, well, that's kind of, it was kind of a different thought to me. 
so I had to give that some thought. But um, just thinking of like what does a tutor do? Someone who um, who helps you to guide you in the right direction. Um, so really, I had never thought of the law in that way. Um, almost, <clears throat> and it's going back to the to the word like connotation again, because I think so much we talk about the law, the law, the law so much that it has taken on, at least in my mind, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but in my mind, um, when I hear the law now, it, it almost takes on like a negative connotation. And I associate ne you know, ne negative values with it. But really in this sense, it's not a negative thing. And so I think that's why I highlighted and underlined that little section, that little part of that, because I was like, oh wow, you know, the law was really never meant to be negative, but when man got a hold of it, that's when it turned negative. So it really gave a, a new perspective on that, that, you know, I have taken that, you know, the law and I've made it negative in my mind, but that's not what God intended it to be. That's just what man did to it. So it helped me, you know, that phrase anyway, you know, you know, that it was really meant to be a tutor, you know, to lead to, to Christ. It helped me reframe the law and look at it, I guess, through a different lens or something. Yeah, we've talked to before that the law was given, the whole reason why the law was given was so that mankind would know their need for a Savior. There's no way we could have ever kept the law in and of ourselves. But when the law, like you were saying, becomes a negative thought, it's when we try to keep the law in our own strength. It be, then begin, turns into religious works. It then becomes religion. We're trying to add to something that God, from the beginning, has pointed out this need for a Savior, for salvation. And we can't add to that. All we can do is freely receive this gift of salvation through Christ Jesus, who came to, not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law, to fulfill the purpose of the law. You know, there had to be one, Jesus. He's the only one without sin. He's the only one that was able to, if you would, fulfill the law. But the law was given so that mankind would see their need. We can never live up to that. But yet God made a way for the law to be made perfect through Christ. And such freedom comes from that. In fact, I was sitting today with someone and we were talking about that. And I said, you know, in our Christian lives we get so tripped up. I think we've all experienced seasons where we felt maybe we have failed God. Or we're not good enough or we're not living the Christian life, or however we talk ourselves into kind of spitting out of control and kind of pulling away from God and kind of just existing in our Christian life. But how sad when we allow that to happen to ourselves, and it's by our own doing, it's by our own choice. Um, because then somehow we're thinking something we've done is not pleasing to God and so somehow he's not pleased with us. But reality is, the only reason why God is pleased with us is because of Jesus. Mm. Not because of what I can do. Not because of what you can do. You know, it's all because of Jesus. 
So our position is in Christ. We have to recognize ourselves now as believers that we are in Christ. That is our position. And I love what Roger sent out the other morning. Mm-hmm. If y'all haven't read that, you need to read it a couple of times. Because, wow, he hit the nail right on the head. That's what it is. It's that shifting thought of, I'm no longer living from this nature. I've been given this new nature. You know, And I love the fact when God's word says that he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. What happens to us is we get so caught up in ourselves, our performance, our this, our that, you know. But in reality, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. There's such freedom in Christ. There's such freedom in walking by the Spirit and in the Spirit, you know. Because again, you're right, I love that it points that out. And I love how he ends that paragraph. Christians can live a righteous life by believing what God says is true. And by living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's vital, 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 vital that we're taking thoughts captive. That he's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish strongholds. Those patterns of thought that that are contrary to God's truth. That's why it's important that we believe what God says is true. And when it comes to be shaken in us, when it comes to try to be disturbed within us, we need to push back and say, no, this is truth. Because if his truth isn't defining us, something will define us, but it it will will lead us from him. So any other thoughts regarding that? Because if the law killed Jesus, Hmm. I mean, because the Pharisees were so bent on saying he was blasphemy. Yeah, was breaking the law, breaking the law. They were always trying to get him on a technicality and in reality, he already knew what they were trying to do. And it was men men who gotten their hands on the law. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So when you said that, it made me think about, wait a second, that's exactly what killed Jesus was the law. You know, I mean, he didn't come to abolish it, but you know, they ended up using it and it never, and it didn't even change the law. That was the thing. No. Now, all what they did, it never stopped it from being what it was supposed to be by God. But, it, and I thought, wow, when you said that, it just kind of hit me. I was like, wow, wait a second. So, yeah. You were going to say something? Good. Yeah. Um, I like this creature. I mean, it's just that our worst enemy is us, mm. our flesh. So, I mean, and I'd like to see that God, you know, inspired Paul to write this because it gave me a better understanding that I had to recognize that every day my flesh will, will like something completely different than what my spirit wants, you know, so I had to recognize and, and just stand firm in what I believe, which is in Jesus Christ, but it's just that when my own flesh trying to dictate, no, this is what I want, I had to recognize and say to myself, you are dead. Mm-hmm. You know, you're no longer live. It's quite even in me. So I have, I, I just love that I'm learning every day to use this creature to battle, to fight back to my flesh, to the enemy, whatever. Like, what, like for example, what took place today, me seeing that person, whatever. I should have stopped right there when I saw it for the first time, but I was so busy at work that I just like, okay, I saw it, okay, keep going. 
but I now I look back and say I should immediately cast it out. You know, like you know, you have no power, you have no authority to come and try to destroy right. me. You know, um, and I'm covered by the blood of the land, and you have no right and and call out to what I know that is true. You know, but um, I'm glad that God is teaching me and yeah. how to fight back. And, but I love that scripture because, again, I, I had to recognize that my flesh is my worst enemy. Mm. You know, and, and I had to make sure that I need to remind myself every day, you are dead. You have no right. And uh, living yeah. by the Spirit. And I love how, like, the scripture, also in Galatians 5, it talks about how the flesh and the Spirit, they war against each other. You know, and um, that we, it lays out the understanding of the works of the flesh. If the works of the flesh aren't hidden from us to guess, was this of the flesh or is it not of the flesh? No, it's very clear. He lays out and gives us a full understanding of the works of the flesh so that we would not be confused. Yeah. And then right after that, he gives us the full understanding of what it is, the fruit of the Spirit, yeah. and what it looks like. Yeah. And again, I think we talked about it on Sunday too, he's got to be careful not to make them seem so unobtainable. In and of ourselves, they are. But a life truly dependent upon the Spirit can obtain the maturity that's needed in order to live a life that honors God. And I love what this study does tonight, is it really exposes how the enemy works within the Christian mindset of walking in the Spirit. Because a lot of times that's where legalism comes in. It's where a lot of confusion comes in. And that's what hinders a lot of people truly being free and living the fullness of a Christian life. A lot of times all you hear is, oh, you know, I'm not this, I'm not that, or it's not good. Or, or we, we create this to be something that it's not supposed to be. So my prayer for us is that we would really hear the word tonight and be encouraged and be mindful. What does our lives look like as we're saying that we're guided and living by the Holy Spirit? So let's look at this paragraph there. Gilda, can you read Walking by the Spirit? How then do we live or walk by the Spirit? If we were to answer this question with three steps in a formula, we'd be putting Christians back under the law. To walk by the Spirit is not a legal issue. It's a personal one. In order to understand what walking by the Spirit is, let's take a look at Galatians 5, 16 through 18 which explains what walking by the Spirit is not. When we understand what it is not, we can then identify parameters within which we are to live. Gary, would you take A through C? Walking by the Spirit is not license. Mm -hmm. License can be defined as excessive or undisciplined an excessive or undisciplined lifestyle that constitutes the abuse of a privilege. It is a total disregard for rules and regulations. If we choose to walk by the flesh, we will have to live with the negative consequences that come from making bad choices. Living by the Spirit, however, has no negative consequences. Walking by the Spirit is not legalism. God has called us to live righteous lives, but we cannot do that by living under the law. There are three reasons for this. The law commonly produces guilt. The law is powerless to give life. The law has the capacity to stimulate the desire to do that which it was intended to prohibit. Walking by the Spirit is 
if walking by the Spirit is not license, and it is not legalism, then what is it? It is liberty. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Alright, let's take a look at some of these scriptures. Um, Yvette, can you go to Romans 7, verse 6? Um, Ari, find Galatians chapter 3 for me. Verse 10 through 14. Do you have your Bible? Mm-hmm. Can you go to 2 Corinthians 3 6? Alright, I'm going to read Galatians 5, verse 13. For we have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. In Galatians 5.1 So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. And then Romans that 7 verse 6 But now we have been released from the law for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Wow. That's awesome. And if you can stay in Romans for me, I'm going to come back to you in a minute. Um, Galatians 3, 10 through 14. Ariana? But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Mm. Jesus. For, not, for the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The sense of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that he who are believers might receive the promise Holy Spirit through faith. Amen. Can you read verse 21 for me? Chapter 3. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, Hmm. so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Amen. I've given you 2 Corinthians. Is that correct or no? I thought you gave me Galatians, but I'm at 2nd. Corinthians? Okay. Can you read 2nd Corinthians mm-hmm. 3.6? He is the one who has enabled us to represent his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old way ends in death. Mm-hmm. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives life. Thank you. Um, stay there, though, for me. Mm-hmm. Yvette, back in Romans 7, can you read verse 5 and then verse 8? When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. 
and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous <laughs> desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. And then back at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, please build up. Okay. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. Amen. Three points that are so needed in our Christian lives to truly understand what it is to walk by the Spirit. So what application can y'all take away from these? Well, I think, at least for me, probably the one thing on from A, B, and C that stuck out to me the most, um, just because of where I've been and things that I've dealt with in my life, personally, as um, the one line was, living by the Spirit, um, however, has no negative consequences. And um, there's very little um, that there's very little in this world that doesn't have a negative impact on something, or that doesn't leave you feeling bad, or that doesn't leave you feeling guilty or ashamed or whatever, um, whatever words you want to throw in there. So um, that I mean, I really highlighted that and bolded that living by the Spirit has no negative consequences because you know that's. That's it. There has to be, there has to be something, something pure, something righteous, something intended um, only for good, and um, that's what it is. Living by the Spirit, and um, you know, I just thought it, it, it's gonna. It was one of my answers for. So I mean, I don't have to expound upon it right now because it it kind of comes out in the discussion questions, and I expounded upon it more there. But uh, I love just I guess bullet point three under B um, where it says the law has the capacity to stimulate the desire to do that which it was intended to prohibit and it like so many things ran through my head and the Amish people you know when they have their Ram Springa you know like that you know that comes from and it's well what I wrote out to the side is rebellion that's what comes from it. It's, I mean, that's a fancy way of saying rebellion. And, um, you know, there's so many things when you, when you try to crack down the law on people, rebellion comes forth, comes forth. Like the movie Footloose is completely based upon this sentence. Like there are so many things in society when you try to crack down the law on people, people rebel. You can only wear skirts down to here. You can't cut your hair. You can't, you know, and then you have people going out to the side who, you know, secretly or have short skirts underneath their long skirts and they rip off their long, you know, it's, it's all stupid stuff. It, 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 it's inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, but what it really truly does is it, re- it promotes rebellion to the law and rebellion is like witchcraft. You know, so, but what are you rebelling against? Are you rebelling against man's law? Or are you rebelling against God's law? So, you know, it's, it, at some point, these rules that we're making, are, are these man-made rules? Or are these God's rules? Like, where's this rebellion coming from? You know, who says that you can't have buttons on your shirt? You know, or, you know, whatever. That's just not much thing. But anyway, so, it, so I just, I just thought that was funny that, like, 
um, I was like, well, that's a really fancy way of saying that the law brings about rebellion. And even, even so, we saw it in Exodus, you know, when, when the law was very first given. I mean, how many times did the tablets have to be written? Because the people were being rebellious, even when the, the law was first pronounced. So I just, I just thought that was interesting. Have you all seen this work in, work in your own life? Yeah, and that, well, that, and that's one of the answers to one of the questions when I was expounding. That's what I'm saying, you know. Like, um, yeah, when, when somebody tells you that, no, you can't do this, then, of course, like, you know. It's the first thing that you do. That's the first thing that you do. You know, and, and to me, like, for just a trivial example that doesn't have anything to do with sin or God, like, you put me in a car and you tell me, that I can't go to the bathroom for the next 45 miles because the rest stop is not 45 miles, immediately I have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just the way that our bodies work. It's the way that my mind works. I'm like, oh my gosh, that rest stop just told me I can't go to the, that sign told me I can't go to the bathroom. Now I want to. And it's just my, and I didn't have to go until you told me I couldn't. And, you know, it's just, that's just the rebellious nature within me. You know, I, my, my bladder is rebellious, you know, all the way down to my bladder. And so it just, it just fascinates me. And there, there are so, like, okay, I'll give you a practical example for today. I was, I had to work today. I don't like working on Fridays anyway. I've gotten so used to not working on Fridays. When I work on Fridays, I don't like it. So I was, but that well, I was, I was fine. I mean, I hadn't barely worked this week anyway, so I wasn't mad about having to be in there. I'm, you know, of course I haven't been in there, so I need to work. I got, I'm, you know, especially since I had a hearing this week, I got a lot to do. But you know, my eyes have been hurting at work, and um, I just, I haven't been feeling good this week. So I was just, you know, my back has been still hurting me. So I've just kind of been like, I just haven't felt right this week. So anyway, so I'm sitting there, and I've just been noticing that this guy up front, every time I have been there this week, this guy's not there. I'm like, where the heck is Earl? I'm like, Earl's been missing all week. And I've been asking people, I'm like, was Earl here all the days I wasn't here? No, no, Earl's not here. What's the big secret? Like, we only have 30 people in the office. When somebody's not there, I notice it. And I want to know where Earl is. So, I, you know, I'm asking him, where's Earl? Have you seen Earl? He's a big old black guy. You can't miss him. And he sticks it out. And I'm like, have you seen Earl? And nobody wants to talk about where Earl is. Well, we only have two big black people in the office. And what is missing is obvious. And so I was like, well, this is interesting. So finally, well, I know that Courtney and Earl, or my Courtney's the one I share a wall with, I know that you know, they're kind of friends outside the office. So I texted Courtney because when you don't want to say something out loud because everybody listens to everything. So, you know, you text, you text each other in the office because we don't have, like, instant messenger. We're not that fancy. So I, I have everybody's phone, no, no phone number in my phone, and we text. And so I'm texting Courtney, and I'm like, where's Earl? And so she's like, oh, well, Earl, um, they took, like, they, meaning, like, the trustee, took Earl to Oregon for, like, some kind of bankruptcy conference. I was like, and it's an annual conference, but it's all the way in Oregon. Okay, well, I got so mad, and I don't even know where it came from. I was like, Earl has been in the office maybe three months. Maybe three months. 
And you say, why do you know? So, yeah, okay. Earl's been in the office maybe three months. And let's talk about what Earl's title is. Earl's a receptionist. He answers the phone up front. And so I'm thinking to myself, and I didn't say it out loud, but I'm thinking to myself, Earl, who has been there all in three months, he's a receptionist, gets to go to Oregon, all the way to Oregon, like for a whole week. Like, I was mad. I felt myself getting so mad. And I was like, I didn't get to go to Oregon. Like, I was and I don't want to go to Oregon with I don't like the trustee and I would never want to spend time alone with her without anybody else there I would just die and so like I would be it would be awkward for me it would be very uncomfortable I don't want to go to Oregon I want to go to this conference it would be so horrible but because he like has only been there and and so like that was like and all of like all these like laws in my head well he's only been here three months and he's only a receptionist, and he only gets to go because he knows the, you know, he's friends with the trustee's daughter, you know, and so, like, all of that is going through my head, and I was fit to be tight, so I texted Courtney back and went, oh, okay, and, like, that's, that's all I said, and so I was seething at my desk for a good ten minutes, and then I was like, hey, why are you, why are you, I was like, if, if Lori would have asked you to go to Oregon, you would have told her no, because you would not want to spend a week with that woman, and I, and I was like, and it was just, like, I had to talk myself down from being mad. But, like, all these, like, things in my head, like, he didn't meet all these requirements <laughs> in my head that thought he should have been allowed to go me. to some kind of bankruptcy <laughs> conference. I'm like, who is this guy? He's like, he doesn't know Joe. Like, for he, for all I know, he could have just been done working at McDonald's, you know? Now he's coming in off the street going to some old <laughs> like, I Like, I got so upset. Anyway, so... So there, yes, that's that was my example. So. I see it with the Adventist kids. Do you repent? Yes, I did. <laughs> but I see it a lot with the Adventist kids because of how you know staunch they are about their rules. Where the sad part is, is they leave and they don't go to church anywhere because they they can't handle the man-made laws. They can't keep all this rules and regulations and the things, and I've seen it with my own kids, um, you know, I don't walk around feeling guilty about it, it was the best school I could put them in at the time, so that's what I did, um, but I do, you know, I do now tell them, look, you know, I try to explain it really, but I see for generations how it has affected Billy's generation, who are in the 40s, um, and Michelle's, who's in the 30s, and Wesley's, who are in the 20s. You know, it's kind of interesting because if they don't keep their eyes on Christ um, or don't get back to that point, then this law thing, again, he didn't come to abolish it, but, you know, you've got to read what we just read and things like that, and it's, it's in, it's, it will ruin, it can ruin generations of, you know, and that's what I think, I believe that's what the Pharisees were all about and that. All the way back then, and I look at it today, and when you try to change that, then it's flipped on you, mm -hmm. and it makes you look like you're the rebellious one because the majority rules, kind of thing. And so the kids, you know, like establishment mentality, exactly, and they walk away and they don't come back, and then they have nothing. I mean, they they got God if they're strong enough to hold on to just Him, but if they've not been taught, you know. 
it's okay to do this. You know, um, it can, it's, it's really, I, and I have watched it. I've watched it even in the younger generations, like with the girls I, and the women and the stuff that I see now, because people are pulling away from this religiosity and, and, and these, you know, rules that we've, we've twisted them. We really haven't really, it's not like we're keeping what he read. It's like we've twisted them. We've distorted what was written well, whenever to the, fit our, yeah. like you said, man-made hands that we put our hands on. Whenever the law is set for us to keep for us in order to be saved or right with God, that's a demonic teaching. It's, it's because it's it, it's so blasphemous mm -hmm. and it strips Christ of his sacrifice, if you would, on the cross. Remember, what makes us right with God is Jesus. His death and his resurrection. There's nothing that we can keep. But that doesn't give us the right, and I like how it lays it out here, a license to continue to sin. And walking in the Spirit is not a license to, to continue to be excessive, or I like how it lists here, or to live an undisciplined life. Mm -hmm. Total disregard for rules and regulations. You know? And I love that scripture that ties in with that. That we don't use our freedom that has been given to us to go and just do what we want to do. No, remember, we're supposed to use our freedom to serve one another in love. You know? And yet, though, you see a lot of Christians who will fight you for the freedom to continue to live however they want. And how sad, because they're perverting God's truth. And then you have it on the flip side, the legalism. You know? If it's not a license, then we see it legalistic in our lives. And we're trying to work at all of this, and I like how it lists it here, but it just produces guilt. You'll never be good enough, you know, and so you've heard me say, if you've been around me long enough, that if you start doing the, you know, poor me, you know, the shame, the guilt, and the condemnation, you're not feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're so focused on you, your flesh has got you in a vicious cycle of torment, you know, but you have, you better realize that that, you, you have just become you know, legalistic and you're putting all this on you and Christ never came to put that on you. You know, Christ came, the next step is to free you, to liberate you so that you can truly walk by the Spirit and in the Spirit. And that's the hope that we have. So let's look at walking with God here. Alright, read um, A and B for us. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we are yoked with Jesus, he will maintain a steady pace right down the center of that narrow path, where our walk is one of faith and not of sight, and one of grace and not legalism. Follow his lead. Being led by the Spirit is defined by two parameters. The Holy Spirit is not pushing us, and two, the Holy Spirit is not clearing us away. That's good. Walking by the Spirit is neither license nor legalism. 
It's not sitting passively waiting for God to do something, nor is it running around in endless activities mm. trying to accomplish something by our own strength and resources. If we walk by the Spirit, we are neither driven nor lured off the path of faith. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Alright, any thoughts regarding that portion? I like the two, the two points there, that the Holy Spirit isn't pushing us, and the Holy Spirit isn't luring us away. So, I mean, we are led by the Holy Spirit, but then again, it's also a reminder that it's a choice to follow the Holy Spirit. We are all given a choice, you know, and we have, we were given a choice all the way back, if we want to take it all the way back to the garden, we were given a choice. And so, um, there is not this, he's never, you know, we've heard the phrase that God is a gentleman. You know, he's never going to force you to do something that you don't want to do. Um, and obedience is a choice and obedience is the way that we show love to God. And so, but I also like that, um, or it says the Holy Spirit isn't luring us away because when I think of the word luring, like, for some reason, that has, a, like, a negative connotation to it. Almost like how Satan would lure you away. You know, like, to, to have to almost convince you. Like, like he's the, what, what is something of light? What is he called? The, the, the angel of yeah. light. Yeah, like, he has to make himself look this way to draw you in. God's not going to do that. He's like, this is, this is me, you know, and you can choose to follow me. You know, I'm going to show you the path. You know, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You know, but I'm not going to <laughs> do a, a show. I'm not going to put on a show. I'm not going to, you know, all the lights and the cameras and, you know, all of that to lure you to me. You know, or to make things look good, to shine the apple, you know, to show you something. So he doesn't have to do that. He's God. And so I, I like the reminder that, number one, we have a choice, and two, he's, he doesn't have to lure us to convince us, you know, because basically the sacrifice on the cross through Jesus was enough, and it should be enough. Mm -hmm. Ari, what are you getting out of this conversation tonight? You can be honest. It's making sense? Do you have questions? Anything like that? No, you don't have any questions, or no? It's making sense. Yeah. Just tired. What about you, Gilda? Anything? How's it speaking to you tonight? Well, um, I really enjoyed this um, lesson, this chapter. And I think that um, so many, like so many things of it spoke to me, the part of like, um, if, you know, we told Christians like, uh, I think it was like in three steps or whatever, then we're giving them a formula because, yeah, I think um, so many times people are even looking for a formula. Well, you know, like, well, if you do this, 
and you do that, then, you know, uh, this is going to happen. If you do A and B, God's going to do C. And that's not the way it works. I mean, yes, he, you know, there are certain, like, you know, I mean, there are spiritual disciplines and stuff, and but people make these, um, come up with these formulas, and they try to, like, they put themselves in a box and then they put God in a box. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I always have this little, uh, this like, uh, I think sometimes people want like a prepackaged Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like this is the Jesus you pray to if you need a healing and, oh, you need money? Here's this Jesus. You know, you need this? Here's this Jesus. So, and the thing of like, um, the law making you want to do something like I was like oh hello that was, to that was totally me like if they said don't touch this I'd be like mm. I really have to touch that right now you know it, it would just like it would totally entice me and um, even when uh, I was in a relationship with with Ernie, uh, Lisette and Jeanette and Danny's biological father. I mean, he was extremely jealous and he was physically abusive. But the more he tightened his grip, the more I did things. Like, I just, I didn't care. I was like, and he was totally incapable of killing me because he came close a couple times. But it was just the fact that he was trying to control me. And I just, you know, it, it just didn't. So, but now, I think, too, like, sometimes if you don't have the why you shouldn't do something, it makes it more appealing. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that it's like, but if you say you really shouldn't, you know, that's not a good idea. Let me tell you why. This is what can happen. So I think a lot of times, you know, there's just don't do that and there's no why. You know, you just don't do that or you just do this, but there's no why. Why do we do the things we do? Why not do these things? So I was thinking about that and I think that that has like a big... That was like a big thing. Like you just don't. So you're just telling me no, but you're not telling me why. And I think that that, um, but that probably played a big part in it as well. But um, yeah, I really like this one. I like what you brought about disciplines, and there are spiritual disciplines. But in those disciplines, it's not that we have to do them. Mm -hmm. We just desire to. The mindset is different than the being held over us, and you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you have to do that. No, like when you're born again, and, and I love again this title of this study is Freedom in Christ. Like, freedom. This is the message, this is the hope that we have in Christ, and that we have this to share with others. And they should see a life that's liberated. Not a life trying to keep rules. Not a life 
just a, a excusing sin in our lives, but a life that is liberated, a life that's in the abundance, the life that is desiring, not out of being forced to, but just a desire to commune with God, you know, to walk by the Spirit, you know, to mature, to grow, you know, so that others can come to see Him for truly who He is, the greatest liberator ever, you know. He came to set the captives free, you know, and this is good news. What about you, Norma? I'm sorry. I was just going to say one more thing. Um, with, as far as like the law or like formulas and steps, you know, the, so if, if they're saying like, you have to do this, usually it's like, well, it can, it can turn into, well, okay, Lord, I did, I fasted, I prayed, I jumped up and down, I did this, I did that, and you didn't come through. So I think that a lot of times that's like this way of, like, it sets people up for uh, disappointment mm-hmm. in God. And God's, God wasn't the one that told you to do that. Yeah, and it actually gives us a false understanding of who God is because mm-hmm. then somehow we think we can manipulate him. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, by doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. And so you have to come through. And somehow we, like, now we rule over him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's our servant. Yeah. You know. And then we're just disappointed where our, our uh, view of him is like just so misconstrued. No. So that's all I was going to say about it. And I think it's important for us too that when we see, and I like you brought this up too, Carrie, when it says that it has no negative consequences, we realize that if we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap the benefits of the flesh, negative consequences of destruction, you know. Um, but when we walk by the Spirit, we do read that which the Spirit gives, and that's His life, you know. And if we're not walking by the Spirit, we're in sin. And if we're in sin, we're in total rebe- we're in rebellion against God. And so that's why we have to be very careful not just to excuse our rebellion or make excuses for it. No, when we see it, we better recognize it. And in recognizing it, we, it leads us to repentance because repentance is this gift. He leads us to repentance. He's done everything for That's the most craziest thing when we really grasp it. He, done, he has done everything for us to be free and to remain free. All through what he has done. But do we really grasp it? Do we really get the fullness? Like when we go back to like if we're like, oh, I have to go to church. Well, your heart's already in the wrong place. You know, because you you don't have to go to church. No, you desire to go to be among brothers and sisters. You desire to be in the with the fellowship. You know, to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. When it's the mindset, oh, I, I have to pray, or oh, I have to do the study, or I have to, you know, this or that. God doesn't want your have tos, because in doing your have tos really doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. If your heart's not in it, he's not pleased by it. And there's a lot of people sitting in church thinking that they're saved. And I remember, I'll never forget, this pastor preached one time. He said, I think he said like 85 or 90% of Christians, people who call themselves Christians, they aren't saved. They're just superstitious. And superstition will lead you to hell. And I thought, wow, 
How sad is that? Do you think that's the majority of people sitting in church trying, you know, their hardest or whatever, you know, or holding a form of religion? And in the end, what was it for? What was it for? Because in the end, you're going to suffer the same as one who was outside the church, running amok. And that's why there has to be a revival taking place among the church. And I believe that's why we see constantly in Scripture the church being reminded. Even in in the Revelation, when Jesus had the letters written to the church to rebuke them, to call them back to himself. So we got to be careful that we're not wandering off. We're not being enticed by the flesh, by the world, or by the enemy. But that we truly recognize that Jesus, he's not just, he's not a concept. He's just not something that someone created. No, he was God in flesh who came to this earth to redeem us, to set us free, to give us hope in Him, life eternal with God. And so we have to break free from the power of the Holy Spirit, from the deception and the lies that our flesh and the workings of the enemy in this world try to bring us about Him and about our lives as Christians. And we've got to see the fullness. And again, it should be a desire. It shouldn't be forced. No, it should be that which it just comes, begins, becomes natural to us. What about you? Any thoughts or how this is speaking to you? Yeah. Um, me personally, I just... I just praise God. God every day, honestly, because I'm this scripture that they look, and I know a lot about these studies when he says, where the spirit then are there is freedom. I know that, that is true. Mm-hmm. I can testify that. Without no doubt, I know there is freedom in Christ. Um, and, and just to know that, it, that I'm walking in that freedom by his grace and his mercy, I mean, he just give me the better understanding to and I ask God every day like please help me to to learn more about you I mean give me more wisdom I mean discernment I mean it just help me to understand that that if something comes against me I can definitely walk in the spirit not in my flesh or, or, or whatever I just I don't know it's just for me, it's beautiful to know that that I can walk in that freedom every day. You know, that I don't have to be a slave of my past or what I did or what I say or whatever. I know that, I, that I'm free and that He loved me. And I love this part when He say, uh, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are son of God. You know, so just to know that I'm His daughter and that He loved me and that He did everything possible to rescue me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it give me more hope to share with others and to let them know that they can be free 
if they if they decide to lay down their life for Christ, you know. And um, so I just every day remind myself that I I have to choose every day who I want to serve, you know. And I keep you know every day choosing. Okay, it's God. He's the one that I want to serve. I mean, as I'm getting closer and closer to my anniversary um, in this month. I was telling God the other day, I said, God, we're going to have a three-year anniversary. It's my third year married that I marry you. And uh, and I said, I will never divorce you. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I will never divorce you. So it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's beautiful to know that I'm free, that I, that I can walk every day in that freedom and give that hope to others. Isn't it beautiful, though, when we really grasp the freedom that we have? Like, think about your rebellion. Think about your sinful nature. Think about where you were before you came to Christ. And we didn't have to clean ourselves up. He accepted us right where we were at. No greater love was ever displayed. And in that, He calls us from it. Again, He doesn't lure us. He calls us. He, God is pleased to reveal himself to us through Jesus. Remember, this great love had to be displayed so that all creation would know that he's God. His great love. And I love that part here where it says walking with God. Have you really just ever just stopped and just, been, just be still and realize I'm in relationship with the living God? The God who spoke and things were formed. The God who creates and the God who sustains and the God who has already purposed all things to come. We have been engrafted into his family and we've been given the right to call him daddy. And we really need to give thought to that to really get a good understanding of who he is and our identity in him. Like nothing, nothing can harm us. Even if they take your life, they cannot take your inheritance from you. Yeah. You know? And so to try to twist the Christian faith into this religion of this earth that's going to give us everything on this earth is foolish. I was thinking about when we were talking about prosperity teaching the other day. In James it's very clear. The distinction between believers who will be poor and the believers that will have. Yeah. You know? God gives and protects and has everything laid out all according to his plan. And we have to learn to be a people. That's why when I love Paul content. says, I am content, rather I'm rich or poor. Yeah. You know, slave or free. Yeah. Because man, if we can grow to that level of maturity to be content in our identity in Christ, do you know the lives that we would live? Just us sitting in this room. The impact that our lives would have 
for others to see that contentment in our life. Others would be like, there's something, I mean, come on, seeing a difference, you know. But to get to a place, to be at that level of contentment, that I am secured in Christ. My identity is one of, of, of a child of the living God. He has given us this inheritance. And we shouldn't waste it. And we certainly shouldn't just put it aside and continue to seek the things that are destroying us. No, we should fan the flame daily. Daily it's a choice. Daily it's a choice. Daily it's... It's it, daily we need to renew our mindset of the inheritance that we have received. But to walk with God, you all. Mm-hmm. To, to restore, like it was back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the cool of the garden. You know what happened to me the other day? I was going to Walmart, and I was talking with God, and I say. God, do you love me? Just like that in my mind. But I know that he loves me. It's no doubt in my heart. But I just say that. I just went inside. Walked outside. And I started driving. And all of a sudden, I look to the sky. And here is Jesus, love you. Oh, yes. I know that you love me. And big letters. You know. So it was just like, yes. Yes. <laughs> I was like, wow. How he answers. You know, so, well, it's so refreshing to be in relationship with Him, and we don't always have to remain condemned or doing wrong. Like we can actually live in a life in relationship with God, and not always having to pretend. This always fascinates us, fascinates me about us as Christians. Like we know we are wrong, but yet we're comfortable wearing masks and pretending in front of others. <laughs> We don't pretend before God. God knows our hearts. And so somehow we try to promote ourselves or maintain something in front of others. And really we're not free. We're enslaved to sin. We're dying on the inside. And somehow we think somehow God is like, oh yeah, you you fooled me. Yeah, no, he's like, um, I see what you're doing, you know, and he constantly is revealing himself to us. He's constantly, you know, drawing us back to him, but if we're refusing him, if we're refusing, you know, his leading, you know, when we stand before him, God have mercy, you know, it's like what we read in Hebrews last Sunday and then on Wednesday. We can't just keep treating him as common. We can't just keep trampling on his blood. We can't just keep making a mockery of all that he's done. And somehow think that we're going to get away with it. No, we're not. How can we take that which is holy, that which is pure, that which is of of love, that which is of just such power, and think somehow we're just going to water it down and make it so common there's a line from tomorrow's movie I can't wait to hear because every time I see it on the on the previews, literally tears begin to fill my eyes. And I know again, it's 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 a story that someone has created because we really don't know what his life was like as a child, the Messiah. 
Jesus. Oh, that's the one I'm going to sing to Yeah, him. yeah. I thought it was the lady, the girl. No. Oh, so, um, he, Mary in the movie tells Jesus, like, basically, like, save your power. Don't use it, basically, until your father reveals to you the right time. Oh, wow. You know? And it's such a deep moment where you see this, and I'm thinking, well, I wonder, you never know what conversation was had, but I wonder him as a child growing up. Knowing that he's the son of God. I mean, that he's You know? <laughs> like, just, I mean, just in total obedience. I mean, just growing and, and getting to the place that when his ministry began, that the time was then, the time was now, he knew he would have three years to impact mankind, you know, and to set up what he has, what he has purpose, and the inheritance in which we receive you all, we ought to celebrate that daily, we ought to be reminding ourselves daily that we can walk with God, that we have relationship with him, and that's how we can't just, you know, we can't just play like he's nothing. Like he's nobody, and then and then claim to be, and then claim to be one that belongs to him. Like sin should not be our master. Romans six is very clear. We're not to be slaves to sin any longer. Doesn't mean you won't sin, but when you do, you feel the conviction, you repent, you throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Don't be defined by it. Mm-hmm. Know your like we've been talking about. Know your identity. You all hopefully, if you're not. If all these are just lessons, okay, we're going on the next one, and you're not going back and there's no application, it'll, the seed is being planted, it's going to be robbed from you. Like, this is application. These are truths. You've got to apply them. You've got to get up. Going through the I am's, going through the truths, the, the 20 cans of success, you know. Going in and understanding your identity. Living this out now before all to see. Because if not, then all you have is really nothing. You're not free. You're shackled up and enslaved like the rest of the world. You're, you just slap Jesus' name on it. And how sad is that? We have an opportunity to walk with God. Yvette, what about you? Any thoughts as we're going around? Um, I, well, when Gilda was talking about the why, it's interesting because I guess after a moment the confidence because it's like whenever we enforce the law, we have a reason why we enforce it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of came to me. But also with um, just what we read when everybody was reading the different scriptures about the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit, you know, and all the ones that we just read, how plain it is mm-hmm. that, you know, that's how we're supposed to live. And being honest with you, I mean, I've been, you know, for years balancing what I believe, what I've been taught. You know, because as a kid, I was in a Catholic church one week, and about I was at North Park one weekend, and I was at St. Andrews the next, so I was so confused I walked away. And then that's the thing with stuff like this. If people aren't being taught this, they're, they're, they're looking for something, mm-hmm. and they're going to hold on to something. And when they get, like, the Catholic rules that we have and the Adventist rules that we have, it gets to a point where you're just like, my God, am I doing any of it right and then when the, when you read that the Holy Spirit saying all you gotta do is me, you know, not I mean just have to do Jesus and that 
but it's that breaking away from it because of what's been ingrained and because of what you were searching for so long to make meaning. So to look at the people that I speak to all the time and, and keep you know going and speaking, and even when I'm told I can't come back to churches anymore and speak or I can't do conferences and stuff like that, um, if one person gets it, you know, and that, but it's also interesting and, and liberating to watch people who have been in religious bondage in, in the Catholic Church like my Aunt Rochelle. Oh, my goodness, I mean, Provenzano, come on, that's straight out of Sicily. And I would have never guessed that, you know, she would have ever left. But she's been at Northland for seven years now. She'll tell you she never thought she'd be, because it was that fear of, Am I really? Am I okay? Am I going to break the? It's, it's a fear that am I breaking the rules? Will you still accept me? What if I make the wrong choice? But once they are liberated, you know, um, you know, I use her as an example, and many of the people that I know who are now in house churches and, and doing things differently, and knowing that they've walked away from something that people are condemning them and saying whatever. I mean, I mean, I'm divorced because I'm rebellious. Against the religion, and you know, that was my, you know, my ex-husband's excuse for when we were getting back together, is you just won't conform to religion, you're rebellious, and therefore he, you know, he didn't want to come back. He wanted to come back, but I had to change, and I couldn't do that, and you know, so that left me by myself. But all the time, you know, it was like, am I doing the right thing? It's the same thing with the kids, but you raised us this way, and that, and it's like, you know. Sorry, but I was doing the best I could, you know. Um, so I guess the why in this is going back to here. Because if this is as clear here saying it's okay not to have to be in the law all the time, somebody has to bring this out to the people, you know. And that's what fascinates me is that it is in here. And just tonight, just reading this right here, just popped it for me, broke it, you know, opened it even more to where it would be. We've got to let go of all this nonsense, you know, and and move forward. And there's going to be people who are not going to accept it, you know. And you know, and I think when you come from, I don't know what you would call, it, I guess, an organized religion like the Catholic Church and, and all that stuff. I guess Baptists could be the same way, you know. I mean, they all could be the same. Well, way. Any of them can. And when you step up and say, "But I'm coming out of the Bible. This is what it says." You got to be prepared to be shunned. Or guess that's okay at this point because we're not serving the religion we're serving God so I think the the law enforcement part was there is a why to the law well there's also a why in here too you just gotta look for it and you just can't take the one line and say resist the devil and he'll flee from you you have to honor God first you know as an example there's the reason why you know so that's good it's a liberating feeling. It's kind of interesting because I'll go back and you know reread it and stuff like that. It it's, really is. It's exciting. It really is, and it should be. You know. Carrie, any thoughts before we move on to the questions from you? No, I share. Okay. All right. So, how can being led by the Holy Spirit affect your witness? Who wants to take that? Carrie. Um. Well, everybody will empower you, and you could actually end up doing his will. But um, also, it's 
your, it's kind of like letting your why be what is motivating your what. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just, I was thinking about that. I was like, that's just like knowing that your why is what's motivating your what, and that's what's going to make the whole difference. Is it beautiful when um, Jesus tells his disciples, like, I have to go away so that he will come? Teach you. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, our counselor, our guide, our teacher, you know, ask for wisdom. You know, seek understanding. Seek his guidance daily for our day-to-day lives. Also, if you're led by something, then you're going to, that you're going to imitate it. Mm-hmm. And um, when you, when you imitate it, then therefore you're, when you imitate the Holy Spirit, then you're imitating Christ. And that's how it's affecting your witness, because you're imitating Christ. And it's beautiful, too, that we're told that he's never, basically he's going to keep revealing the truth about Christ to us. He will never go on and do something of his own that's apart from Christ, you know, so that's why we must be very mindful of, of the teachings that we're hearing, that if they don't line up with the fullness of God's word, we need to be mindful of that, um, because the Holy Spirit will never teach something that's contrary to what's already been established, nor would he add on to something that's not already been laid out for us, you know, so we have to be mindful of this. Because again, I mean, the enemy comes to still kill and destroy. You know, he's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. You know, he, he, he'll try to come in, you know, and try to challenge, you know, truth. But we have to raise up that standard. You know, we have to, we have to trust in, 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 the whole, in, in Jesus. And we have to understand the fullness of the, the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, you know, to do the work within us. You know, so that's why we must yield our lives to him. So I'm going to wait for Norma to come back. And Carrie, when she comes back, let's look at the pilot story. I don't know if you all have started these discussion questions, but if you read number one, it says, what are the key elements ensuring the safe landing of the young pilot in the opening illustration? Well, if you did your homework, you would look and go, well, what illustration is this book talking about? Positional illustration I know. of the I pilot. Was like, uh... Oh, yeah. So I found it last night, and I gave it to Carrie just before we started. She typed it up for us. So let's take a look at this. I have all my questions. Oh, yeah. As I say, you only needed it for number one. Yeah. So, but the pilot story, which is a great um, story for us to kind of relate to our topic tonight. So, Carrie, would you go ahead and read this for us? A young pilot had just passed the point of no return for his flight when the weather suddenly changed for the worse. Visibility dropped to a matter of feet as the clouds descended to earth. Placing his trust in the cockpit instruments was a new experience for the pilot, for the ink was still wet on their certificate verifying that he was qualified for (laughs) instrument flying. But it was the landing that worried him the most. The destination for the flight was was a crowded metropolitan airport, one that the pilot was not familiar with. Alone with his thoughts, until he could make radio contact with the airport's control tower, the young pilot was keenly aware how easily it would be to panic. After all, he was a new pilot, flying in bad weather with no visibility and heading toward a difficult landing. 
Twice the pilot reached for the radio to broadcast a mayday call, but instead forced himself to think about the flight manual his flight instructor had required all students to memorize. <laughs> as a student, the young man did not care for having to memorize so much. However, as a pilot, he was now thankful he had been required to do so. Finally, the voice of an air traffic controller came on the radio. Trying not to sound apprehensive, the young pilot asked for landing instructions. I'm going to put you on a hold pattern, the controller responded. Great, thought the pilot. This guy will help me land safely. Suddenly, the words of an old hymn popped into the pilot's mind. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. And they took on a new meaning. Aware that this was no time for pride, the pilot informed the controller, This is not a seasoned pro up here. I would appreciate any help you could give me and was relieved to hear, Roger that, in response. <laughs> For the next 45 minutes, the controller gently guided the pilot through the blinding fog. As periodic course and altitude corrections were given, the pilot realized the controller was guiding him around obstacles and away from potential collisions. Mm. With the words of, inst of the instruction book in his mind and the voice of the controller through his radio, the pilot was finally able to land his plane safely that stormy night. So number one, Carrie. Yes. What were the key <laughs> elements ensuring the safe landing of the young pilot in the opening illustration? Well, no, we've read it. We know <laughs> that it is the knowledge of the manual and the faith in the, in the air traffic controller. Mm -hmm. And what does the manual represent? The Bible. Mm -hmm. And who does the controller represent? The Holy Spirit. You get a gold star. <laughs> Alright, so why has simply preaching morality not changed our society? Go ahead. No, Carrie. <laughs> well, go ahead. I like to see Carrie, Angela. <laughs> I, I will. I put, we have the do as I say, not as I do mentality. There will be no change without application. Anybody else has anything to add to that? I said morality is something that's self-driven as opposed to something that you're living by the spirit. Like you can tell someone, it's like the law, like, okay, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But their heart, if that law is not in their heart, it's not going to change anything. Anyone else? All right, so let's look at number three. What does legalism accomplish, and why is the law ineffective? It accomplishes condemnation and guilt. Mm -hmm. and, it, okay. and it shows that we are unable to accomplish it. Anyone else? Uh, I put um, legalism creates religion, mm -hmm. bondage. And the, the law has already been fulfilled, so it doesn't, it doesn't work. Isn't that interesting, the scripture that Ari read earlier, where it says if you're basically following the law, you're still under the curse. Mm -hmm. That's huge. I mean, if you really understood that, like, oh, wow. You know, because the law has been fulfilled. The law... Again, its purpose is to reveal Christ, you know, 
because we can never keep the law. No. So he had yeah. to fulfill it. So yeah. all it does is show, hey, you're a failure. You can't keep the law. Yeah. You can't ever accomplish it. So there you go. And now you feel guilty and condemned. Yeah. And but and then and, but then take it another step. You're cursed. Oh yeah. Because you're trying to keep the law, and your shame and your condemnation and the weird warped insecurities and everything else that flares up, you stand cursed. Because you're always a failure. Yeah. Have a nice day. So many people. <laughs> yeah, and that's something. How sad. But yeah, this is what's been given us to go and share, to go and teach, to go and encourage, you know, first for ourselves. Hold, that's why you've always heard me say, hold it up for yourself, you know, and then get out there and share these truths that you're learning to apply to your own life. Fee, fi, fo, fum. That's what it sounds like. Someone's stomping hard. You don't hear that? I heard it. Heard it again. It's not my house. But I didn't hear the door, so I was choosing to think it wasn't an intruder. Fee, fi, fo, fum. Sounds like it's all about my house. I think it's coming from, like, the cult of fashion. But it, that's what it sounds like. Like, it's like, like, sh- like stomping. <laughs> I'm sure Jackie's going to love to listen to that. <laughs> Recording. <laughs> yes, Jackie, that was a large thump. Dum, 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 dum. All right, so how, I'm sorry, number four, has the laying down of the law in your church, home, or society ever stimulated you, Carrie, to do what the law <laughs> was intended to prohibit? All right, I have an example from Explain. my home. Explain. <laughs> okay. Well, this one was one from my home. Well, and it comes back to, you all didn't live in my home, so you don't know. But, um... So, I was always seen as a hefty child. And. Healthy? Hefty. Oh! <laughs> Norma, you don't talk anymore. So, anyway. I don't know. Anyway. So, they tried to fix that, and it didn't happen. But at times people would try to institute laws in the home to try to make me less hefty. And this would instigate what I wrote down as referring to the previous thing, point three under B, the capacity to stimulate the desire to do that which was intended to prohibit, which is rebellion. Every time they tried to put a law against me being hefty, I rebelled against it, and I would take what was prohibited and eat under my bed. And so that is why I kept a pantry under my bed. And that is why you see me here today like this. If they had not have tried to prohibit my intake, I would have not had to provide a pantry under my bed, and I probably would not be this big. So actually, I blame them for it. But every time they tried to limit my intake, I would go back when no one was looking, and I would take everything they said I couldn't have, and I would hide it in my room and eat it later. Don't say wow. <laughs> you say, the way you say things about me is very judgmental. <laughs> like you're like you're watching Dr. Phil. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. So basic, but no. Like in in particular, there was like one night. My dad. Chicken. Mm-hmm. 
my dad, my dad used to be on staff at, a, at, at one particular church we were at. Well, he, um, so he had, like, you know, people that worked under him. And so um, he would have all the workers over, like, once a month. And I was a kid. I was, like, seven or eight or whatever. Well, they had chicken. And my mom said I could have one piece. Well, one piece isn't going to fill me up. So while they would, he, my dad would be meeting with them, and they were all distracted. And so I would go and take the rest <laughs> of the chicken and go back, and there was a little space between the wall and my bed. It was probably about this much room, enough for me and my chicken. And so I would go down, and nobody, they weren't paying attention to me, and I would finish the rest of the chicken while nobody was watching. How do you share this with your parents? Need to know all this stuff. Oh. I don't need yeah. to know how they messed me up. I'll have to send a link to this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to dispose of it. So, no. But anyway, no, so every time they told me, well, it wasn't really my dad, it was my mom, and that she was huge at the time, so whatever. <laughs> every So every time they told me, like, you can't have this, like, I literally would go and take it. So. That's my example, but the space wasn't big enough for the whole story, so there you go. How about anyone else? I'm sure it pales in comparison to my <laughs> eating under the bed story. I always just question everything. I mean, I got excommunicated from the Catholic Church because I questioned. I mean, that came down from the Diocese of Orlando, but it was like, you know, <laughs> I kept asking questions because I just didn't, I didn't get it. And when they said I couldn't do something, I'm just like, well, why? And you just didn't ask why. And then it just got worse. And, you know, again, my Aunt Rochelle, and I'm trying to, like, Yvette, just shut up. And it's like, but this doesn't make any sense to me. You know, so why can't I? You know, and, you know, I was pretty headstrong in any way, rebellious anyway. So it was like, you know, I, I, <laughs> I have to say something because it's been in my head all night. I, your mom and I were walking through, you know, those places that have the little glass figurines and stuff. And she always used to, every time, it just makes me smile. She would always say, one of these days, it says, do not touch. I'm going to come in here and I'm just going to knock them all off. <laughs> and I just keep thinking about this because yeah. she... If you went into one of those places and you saw those little glass figures, she'd just mm. look at me. And I'm just like, don't do it with me here, please. Because it would say, no. do not touch, do not touch. But she just, you could see it. It was mm. like, oh my gosh, we got to get out of here. Because she's fixing to just go watch this and knock them all off. And that again is just... I just can't help it. All night long, yep. I've been thinking about this. I can this hear her saying that, I was going to say, that's totally right. <laughs> yeah, I could see her with the little yeah. gleam in her eye. Oh, and she would just turn her head and look at me, and I'm just like, oh, no, 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 no. We'd get, like, walking around Disney, you know, the little place yeah. out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I just, but this, you know, to do what was intended to prohibit, you know, I always just had questions. I don't know if that answers this or not, but I always mm -hmm. just had questions of why not. And if, it, if they couldn't give me an answer, then I would just kind of do it anyway and just go, okay, well, you know, until you can give me an answer. But that was the rebellion in me, yeah. not just doing what they had set out to do, which didn't make any sense, yeah. you know. Where we recognize wherever the laws lay down, it'll, we respond 
you know, rather giving us the license to, to sin or to make it legalistic. But you, you know. have to have law, though. Yeah. Right? Well, the law, yeah. The law is there, again, because it points to, point to Jesus. Right. Right. But in Christ, there, when we become Christians, there's the, the fullness of exactly. living out of the new nature okay. now. Right. You know, right. because the law now has been fulfilled, so we don't have to live according, if you would, to the law, because now we're living according to the Spirit. And Jesus has fulfilled the law, so if we're in Christ, the law is fulfilled. We're not trying to measure or keep the law. We're living a totally different life now. And the standards in which we are set now, I mean, think about when Jesus, when the the Word of God says, be holy as I am holy. Mm -hmm. Or like you used the word earlier, I think it was you who said about being imitators. Well, the Bible says to us to be imitators of God. Mm -hmm. You know, that we are now called to reflect Him to others. We are his ambassadors. We're to, to go forth now, living out in this new nature, you know, so that others can see that there's hope. But whenever the law is laid down, people react to it. And we see it, rather, again, it's in churches, rather it's in homes, rather it's in society. Right. You know, at times, all of us can react, you know. And that always brings about the flesh, because the flesh craves the law. Because remember, the flesh only knows how to die. So the flesh actually likes the law because it, 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 it entices the flesh towards the rebellion. What were you going to say? Well, I think, like, that. This, the example that I gave you was for my home. But now, if you wanted to talk about my church, it was the complete opposite. I was never one to question anything. You told me what it, I was supposed to believe, and I believed you. And I believed it to be like, signed, sealed, delivered, that was law. And anybody that questioned it, you were going to hell. And that was just, that was exactly what I believed. Like, you were saying, like, you questioned everything. I questioned nothing. Because that's what I was taught. And so I absolutely questioned nothing. So if you, so I kind of think, but in that, you know, like, did it make me want to, you know, break any laws that were given? No, it didn't. I don't. I just. Why would I ever? Well, in reality, it did though. Well, but it was. But these weren't the correct laws. Right. But I. So I was just conforming to what man was saying. So what? But what they did was they just made little clones of themselves, basically, and then they passed on their ability to judge. Mm-hmm. To me, and then I became a judge. Mm-hmm. So anything that came towards me that did not line up to what I was taught and to the standard that I was told was the righteous standard, oh, then you were wrong. And I was very vocal and very loud about letting you know that, oh, I'm sorry, this is incorrect. And I'm sorry that uh, it's unfortunate that you will not be in heaven with me. You know, like that, and I was very vocal about but that. But also think about this too: mm-hmm. is that when I think about what you've shared about yeah. your experiences mm-hmm. there, that the way the law was presented, mm-hmm. and maybe not everyone, but unfortunately, there was such a license to keep sinning. Oh yeah. And so to think of how you were no in church for so long and yet you were just a full-fledged sinner 
well, and isn't that weird? About. Well, yeah, but isn't that weird too? Mm-hmm. Here on one side of you, you're like, well, believe what I believe or you're going to hell. Well, and actually, you were on your way to hell because you really, you were giving yourself the license right. to do everything that you were seeing the others kind of do and they thought that they were going to heaven so we're all going to heaven we can just keep living however we want and that's when the law is perverted well it's almost like a and really it was a a schizophrenic reality yeah think about that we don't label me schizophrenic I'm just saying the reality (laughs) we're not saying Carrie was but it's very late I'm saying it was a schizophrenic reality in that it was, I was, you know, when the Bible says don't be double-minded, I I can exactly draw you a picture of what it is to be double-minded because I live that. Because I was able to live that that. lifestyle of sin, but I was able to completely and totally die to it. So that, I mean, like die to any feelings or even acknowledgement of it. When I was living this judgmental religious law life, like I could, I could literally do one in the morning and one at night, like, and I did many times, you know, because I was one drunk. one second, the next to the next. Okay, well, maybe not two seconds. Well, it depends on myself, but because a lot of times I was feeling church stuff while I was busy doing other stuff. God help me. No, but anyway, oh Jesus, I don't know. I lived through that. Y'all have no idea some of the stuff I did, <laughs> but I'm not telling Norbuck. It's just go, wow, in church. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway uh, yes, it was it was very much like double minded. Very, you know, you have to literally die to that to be able to keep being that harsh and that judgmental with people. You really do. Wow. You don't have to get to say wow either. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I say, why are we angry at the world? Anger only shows that there's something wrong inside here. Because we're not to be angry at the world. We're, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the principalities and the air of the darkness. We should have compassion for those who are lost. Mm-hmm. But when we're so quick to pounce... Name. Yeah, then majority of the time mm-hmm. we're <laughs> reacting to really what's going on inside here. To a reflection of our own Well, what's self. interesting yeah. is like with her, you know, when she said that, all I could think of is, that's why I left. Yeah. That's why I didn't do church anywhere. That's why I walked away from, you know the Baptist church and the Catholic church at the same time, I was like, Jiminy Christmas. I felt more free not going than I did being there because I was like, this is nuts. You know, because I couldn't couldn't get it right. And I knew I was doing this, and that was the one thing I had said when I was in my shooting and those pastors came 
you know, it's like when he said, and I told you this, he said, <laughs> he said, the next time God's not going to save you if you don't change. And I said, well, if that's the case, you need to get the hell out of my house and you can take your God with you. And I mean, and my dad just looked over and he looked at me and he said, gentlemen, I think it's time to leave. Because that just, because again, a serious situation with, you know, death and all this other nonsense, and you're now coming here to tell me I'm just lucky because I made it. And I had already, I had been out, I hadn't been to church probably in 20-something years. <laughs> Here's these two coming to tell me they're praying for me. If, you know, so it was like when I left, I felt more liberation from the mindsets and the games because I couldn't get it right, couldn't get any of them right. I couldn't get that one right, couldn't get that one right. So leaving was my thing. If I couldn't do it, I was like, oh, I'm out of here. You know, just, I'm good. And so where the battle was when you said that, that's the first thing that came to my mind was I couldn't do it. I couldn't do that anymore. So I just said, bump you, I'm out of here. And I didn't, you know, and that was it. It's interesting, too, when we think of sharing the gospel, you know, the need for Jesus kind of goes back to session one, you know, to be able to talk to people, the reason for Jesus, why did he come, what does he offer, you know, the reality is true, though, that if there's not acceptance of salvation then you will experience the wrath of God and that upsets people that 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 angers people but then again like you've heard me say it's your choice but see God has done everything to reveal his love to you to draw you to himself. So there are standards. There is discipling people, teaching them to obey all of his commands. You know, not just some, but all. There is a way to live, you know. And not everyone's going to get it. Not everybody's going to be pleased. Not everybody's going to want to hear this because everybody wants what they want. But the Christian life, is a life that is denying itself, picking up its cross, and following Him daily. This life that we weren't forced, it was a willingness to surrender our rights to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Teach me to obey. Increase my faith. Like I'm following you. I love it when he looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord, I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then he says, well, then go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. That's what we're called to do. We're called to go, you know. But the gospel message is not one that everyone is going to hear and respond. People will even still remain in rebellion towards God's truth and God's standards. But what we have to realize is, is that we've got to be careful not to create, because listen, the church is 
the church Jesus is building. The wheat and the tares will be among each other. You know, but the gates of hell cannot prevail. And unfortunately, and this question too, about laying down the law, it always drives such chaos, you know. But when we really understand freedom and law, and the impact that freedom is to have within us, and then so we can go and impact those around us with it. To be liberated, to be free, you know. There's a lot of stuff going on, especially in our generation. And we know as the generations continue to, until his return, the love of many is going to go cold. Religion is going to rise up, you know. False doctrines are going to be huge. And they've always been in trying to infiltrate the church. But as times are drawing closer to him, the more we're going to see such false doctrines being presented. Christians living lukewarm lives. Even those people will be falling away, you know. But that's why it's vital that we remain free. That we remain living in step with the Holy Spirit. So that others will know that He is God. But it is sad that whenever the law is laid down, it always entices the flesh. It always gives us the right to rebel. Or, like I love how he lays it out, either it licenses to sin or it leads us into legalism. But that's not what it was ever meant to do, you all. And that's why I'm glad you shared tonight, Perry, about that being stuck out to you about the law. Its purpose, its purpose is to always lead you to Christ in the fullness of who He is. So which side of the road, the cliff or the fire, represents your greatest weakness, license or legalism? How can you stay in the center of the road? Well, I think... Shared, but for me personally, just with my background, I always, if I'm walking in my flesh, I always fade back to legalism. And it's, you know, I can tell, you know, if, especially when I've allowed hardness to set into my heart, you know, legalism t- tends to just be one of the first things that surfaces. Um, just because that's the pattern that, um, that I was raised in, the pattern of sin that I was raised in. And so, um, you know, the question, how can um, I stay in the center of the road? Um, One of the first things I wrote down was that I I need to learn to ease up and that um, also to uh, remain patterned after Christ and not after, you know, my old self and not after the world and not after um, any man-made religion that I've seen patterned before me. I love over there under A, under walking with God, it says when we are yoked with Jesus, he will maintain a steady pace right down the center of the narrow path where our walk is one of faith and not of sight and one of grace and not of legalism. Just yoke, being yoked with Jesus. Any other thoughts for question number five? Alright, so question number six. What would you learn 
if you walk with Jesus. to keep my mind set on things above mm. and um, the other thing I put was um, and this is kind of a big one for me um, to learn what things that are trivial and what things to dig my heels in on mm. in the kingdom of God like what what things are, are really not that big of a deal and what things really are And then Gilda handed us this um, paper that she piped up for us. Thank you for doing that. Um, it goes with question number seven. How did Jesus describe himself? So, Ariana, why don't you read these points from this page for me, please? So, any thoughts on these scriptures or from that question? And I think that also, um, just adding to this list, which is an incredible list, was um, just what they pointed out here in Matthew, um, where it's, he describes himself as gentle and humble in heart, where he says that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How does the Holy Spirit's guidance come or not come, and who can expect to be guided? Well, um, the, well, I put those that can expect to be guided are those who live by the Spirit and those who desire it. Anyone else? I mean, it's 
Enggak. Um, the point. Um, the Holy Spirit is not pushing us, and He's not luring us away. So He doesn't just like um, He's not going to come to tempt us. And those who yield their lives to His leading. Those who have received Jesus as Savior has received the Holy Spirit, you know. And so we recognize as we come to Christ, whom He has given us. You know. What steps can you take to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life? Let's start with you, Ariana. What steps do you think you could take or begin taking to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit leading you? stood out to you? Think about it. I'm going to come back to you. Norman, what about you? We'll go around the room. Yeah. <clears throat> um, walk in obedience. Mm-hmm. And walk in obedience and, and just obey what he's speak, disobey, you know, and I think before, when he was talking about the law, and I think when you, when you love someone, you want to please the other person, and I always picture myself like, I love God, I love Jesus, so because of my, because of my love for him, I don't have to do what the Lord say. I just want to. I want it because I'm loving Him. And I know that if, because I love Him, I know I should do those things because it's all the love. You know, so we're back to that question of the Holy Spirit. So, walk in obedience and, and for me personally, is being in the world, you know what I mean? And, reading the Bible and meditating every day, like the Bible said, day and night, and knowing what, what is true. That's good. What about you, Gilda? Um, I said to ask yourself, for myself, are the steps I'm taking leading me or anyone else to Christ before I do something? And uh, keeping my thoughts on him and taking the time to like just be still and listening because sometimes we're so busy asking and definitely like prayer is a two way street so um, I want you to that. 
put to um, surrender and repent, be still and obey. Mm -hmm. Karen? Um, mine is more focused communication um, with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes um, then we can pray, but you know, forget that the Holy Spirit is part of God. You know, and we can speak to the Holy Spirit, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us and to be with us and to guide us through this. And um, really, that that focused connection with the Holy Spirit, um, because the Holy Spirit is what lives and dwells with us, and is that constant present presence with us, and is that you know has been you know the counselor and the comforter and all of these things. You know, he plays so many roles in our life. So, um, but sometimes I think that he's the overlooked one, you know, because we, it's, you know, we focus on God, if you will, but, you know, God is in three parts. And we have Jesus who we see as, you know, the sacrifice or, you know, the, the, the son of God. But, you know, there's this Holy Spirit who is this, he's the, the active player, if you will, in the New Testament covenant. You know, and so um, focusing on that communication with the Holy Spirit um, in my everyday life. Isn't it interesting, too, the unpardonable sin mm -hmm. is, is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And when you also think, too, when the Word of God said, and I think I heard maybe you said over there, but the Word of God says, that does not live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. Wow. I mean, do, do we really understand that? Do we really know that day in and day out? You know, and I was thinking about this answer, and I thought, you know, it kind of took me to two scriptures um, where it says, how does God transform us? By the renewing of our mind, by changing the way we think. You know, and I remember in my, well, it's been throughout my Christian walk, but a lot in my formative years, and lately I've been thinking a lot about it, is the prayer I would always pray, well then Lord, you know, show me who I am now, because I know who I was, I know what I would do, and what I like to do, and everything about me, but who am I now? Only you can reveal that to me, you've given me yourself, you've given me the Holy Spirit, you know, so lead me, guide me. And then it brought me to, in praying, I changed the way I think, you know, renew my mind, you know. And then it brought back to the memory, the scripture where it talks about, you can hear me say it a lot, taking every thought captive and bringing it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know. But if we don't know his word, if we don't know his truth, then our mind can't be renewed. You know, it kind of goes back to that pilot. The pilot knew the manual, but he needed that guidance in. Mm -hmm. You know, he needed now how to apply what he had learned, if you would. And so it's the same with us. As we're learning God's truth, we need the Holy Spirit because he's the teacher of it. Mm -hmm. You know, he reveals it to us. And in that, we can take thoughts captive and we can bring it to the Lordship underneath the, the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ.
and then by applying God's truth. It's how we bring it into obedience. It's how we grab it and snatch it and pull it down and begin to allow our thoughts to be renewed so that we will live differently. Back with you, Ari. So what steps can you take to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life? So, suggestion for quiet time. Read that sentence there, Ari. Begin each day by asking your Heavenly Father to fill you with His Holy Spirit and commit yourself to live by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And kind of what I was sharing before I asked Ari ties into next week's. The renewing of the mind. And the big question. Before next session, consider the following question. Since you are a new creation in Christ, why do you still struggle with the same old faults and habits? Good question. So, read the next session, answer your questions, and then we'll pick up next Friday. Any final thoughts? Alright, well, let me put on the last song.